book of Colossians. Uh, I remind you to remember to be praying for some of our preachers here in Vermont. Well, we, do have, we do have some young preachers, but we also have some old preachers who are dealing with uh, a number of physical issues. Uh, Dr. Guy Goodell, who has preached here in the pastor's fellowships, and I've known Brother Guy for 50 years. Uh, before he was ever pastoring over in Great Grand Falls, he was my, uh, my Greek teacher back in college. And uh, he's gone, been going through chemotherapy for um, four-stage uh, pancreatic cancer. And uh, he preached uh, at the fellowship. He only preaches once a week because that's about all he has stamina for. But um, he preached on a message on the, uh, the 12 blessings of God's grace. And uh, reminded me of, a, of the preacher from over in Hebron, New York, on the other side of the uh, uh, Vermont and the New York border. And he was also diagnosed with, four, diagnosed with fourth stage cancer. And one of the messages he preached was that the dying grace of God is sweeter than the living grace of God. And so, I mean, there we look at death and we kind of, mm, kind of thing like this, but those who really know the Lord and those who really love the Lord, there's an, there's an anxiousness of getting to see him, the one you serve, the one you've loved, the one who's loved you, the one who died for you. And you, you can sense that there is a, you know, like the Apostle Paul, betwixt two, whether to stay or whether to go. And uh, he said, but it was more needful for him to stay. But he, would, he, he had his brothers... Uh, he was on his way if he could. So pray for them. And uh, I, I just said I got a phone call from Brother Fryman. He's hosting a fellowship in the month of November, no, no, uh, November the 3rd. And he also has got some serious surgery that's coming up. Uh, be much improved. Brother Ed Hart at Lighthouse Baptist Church doing a great job uh, preaching, uh, I think, one service on su Sunday school and, and Sunday school hour. But uh, some of them, they just, they're exhausted. And uh, they've gone through all kinds of physical cancers and chemotherapies and not a lot of treatments like that. And the truth of the matter is there are not a whole lot of young, young preachers coming to the state. They're not wanting to come because they say, well, you just got a bunch of small people up there and a bunch of liberals. Well, the liberals need to have someone stand up to them, amen? And the liberals need someone to present the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. So continue to pray for those churches that are empty. Island Pond is one of those churches right now. They still don't have a pastor. And there's a discussion in the fellowship how much we're going to do to continue to keep the doors open anyway. Um, they kind of, it's a loose knit right there, but they've got a nice building, have an apartment there in the basement of the church uh, that's supposed to be rather nice and so on. So we'll just pray that they'll find someone uh, that would be willing to come up there. And that's a, Island Pond's not that big. And there's already a Bible-believing church that's up there, and so it's going to be hard to build a church. But that church has been there, I think, before I got here. And uh, it's had its problems in the past. But anyway, be that as it may, we need our praying people. And God can do wonderful things, amen? He, God, God can do wonderful things even here in the state of Vermont, for sure. So anyways, we're looking at uh, Colossians chapter 3, our key verse, we said with verse 23. The title of the message is Developing One's Character. And really when you look at the work of the ministry of the Holy Spirit of God, it is the idea of he is developing our character. And the character that he is developing is the character of Christ. So that our character would resemble the character of Jesus Christ, and there should be no question. So, by way, of, well, we, I, I did a little bit differently. We're going to do prayer. There's only one point, so there's no sense in having a, you know. So, one main point. It's only about 
an hour, but we'll get it done. No. Uh, anyway, uh, so let's go to the Lord. Father, we just thank you for this time we could come together. And Lord, that we could be an encouragement one to another. And Lord, we are encouraged. Lord, when we look around and we see our brothers and our sisters in the Lord, they're willing to get up on a, ch on a chilly and wet and uh, uh, very uh, humid day and uh, be able to come here in the house of the Lord where it's nice and warm uh, in a physical sense. But Lord, the, the, the spiritual fellowship, uh, Lord, is why we come. The fellowship with you and your spirit, the fellowship with you and your word, Lord, the fellowship with one another today. And so, Father, may we, may we be challenged, may we be changed, uh, so that we will uh, not be resistant in those areas where you want to bring change, but, Lord, that we would fully surrender and yield and gladly do so, whether it's to salvation or to the rededication of our lives. Lord, have your perfect will and have your perfect way, whether here in the sanctuary or our, or our family that is uh, uh, joining us at home as well. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So there are a number of characteristics that go into developing one's character. And some of these kids that you see that are very bitter and very angry, their character has been developed in a home that is fraught with anger and bitterness. Whether it's the mother at the father, the father at the mother, there's just battles all going on there. You know, there's a lot of young people out there who don't even know what a sane, sensible, godly marriage is all about. They have no clue that that's what marriage is supposed to be like. I mean, they've been raised in maybe an alcoholic home. They've been raised in a drug-ridden home. They've been ridden in a, in a godless home. Uh, and so they just out there doing their thing in life, hoping that somewhere at some point, something wonderful is going to happen. But they have no clue how it's going to happen or why it would happen. And so one of the important jobs or responsibilities of a parent is to guide the character development in their children. Because while they may act as characters, we need to make sure that they develop the right character on the inside. And so there are various characteristics that are negative and certainly not conducive to developing a desirable character uh, for within the home or for their, own, for their own personal lives or within the home uh, or in society for that matter. Uh, or a character that others see uh, invaluable. Uh, I'd rather have my children have, a, have, a, uh, have developed a character through not only what they have learned through mom and dad, but what they've been learning through the, uh, the, the Christian school environment that they've been in there. And that's a shame sometimes because some kids are in good, they're in good homes, they're going through Christian schools, they're going out into the world, and they don't have desirable characters. They, they've just dropped into the world and they become so much a part of the world that if you told, if they told someone that they were Christians, they would say, oh, really? I never would have guessed. And what a shame. And so uh, I, I believe here that when we're looking at uh, certainly not conducive uh, to developing a desirable character or character that others see as invaluable, laziness is not a personality problem. It is a character problem and is listed as an intellectual problem along with irresponsibility. So if one tends to be lazy, they tend to be irresponsible, inattentive, weak-willed, and impatient, just to name a few things. These tend to be all bundled into one area that needs to be worked on. And so these are learned behaviors. When your child doesn't have chores, you're teaching them to be lazy. When they don't have responsibilities, you're teaching them to be without responsibility. And so there are things that as a parent that we need to do, even if it's taking the rubbish out and they complain. Then you take, the, you take a little bit of that rubbish, you put it on their plate for supper, and maybe they'll take it outside. I don't know. <laughs> not, don't do that, really. But the idea is that really, now, back in, in the day, and I know everybody, the young generation loves you, back in the day, 
I didn't have to walk through six foot snowdrifts to get to school. But back in the day, we had chores. And some of you know, I mean, Clark, you, rose, you were raised on a farm area, and some of the others were raised on, I know that uh, Diane and uh, some of the others were raised on farms and stuff like that. Uh, when I was going to high school, uh, and there was a, a chicken farm right up the road from where we lived there, and Tommy Gretton, he had to be up, and he had to get all his chores done. I mean, it was a good-sized chicken farm. And he had to be up, and he had to get all that work done before he went to school in the morning. And then when he got off the bus, he had more chores to do in the afternoon before he get his homework done and all. So he had learned a strong health ethic. Burton, you know all about that. And your family haven't been raised on a farm and generations as well. But we should probably, no, not probably, but we should be finding things for our children to do, our young people. Now, I know that we don't have those, but our children who are now raising their children and all they get to do is to play on that thing. There's no responsibility in playing that. If it was a matter of taking out the garbage and interrupting them while they were doing their PlayStation or whatever it is that they were doing there, well, they carry on and they have a hissy fit because you're interrupting them. And so our children, I'll be honest with you, we have raised and we are raising even more so lazy, intolerant young people today. Now, thank God for those who are good, those who have ethics, and those who know that if I want to eat, I'm going to have to work. And uh, if I want to have a car, I'm going to have to work for the car and, and have jobs. And so I thank God for those young people who, who have good, good work ethics and they're not lazy. But children need to be taught more than potty training, how to tie their shoes or count to 10 and know their ABCs. If there is one thing that the Lord our God is looking for, it is hard workers, industrious individuals in which he empowers them to be their very best and to do their very best and even more as we allow him to invest himself into our lives. And so to have God invest more of himself into our lives, that means there are some other things that need to go out of our lives. I may have to give up an extra hour of sleep. I may have to give up a little bit of this. I may have to give up a little bit of that so I can spend that time so God can invest his life in me. So the key word found in verse 23 of Colossians chapter, uh, chapter, um, chapter 3, I'm on the wrong page here, I'm sorry. And uh, it says, uh, and whatsoever you do, do it what? Heartily. That's a good old English word. Now, someone might read that and read it Hardly. <laughs> but it is not it is heartily heartily and uh, it means the human soul insofar as it is constituted or as the soul is made up see our soul is made up of a lot of things we did uh, in the adult Sunday school class we're doing it right now we're doing it probably be three parts we're looking at the body soul and spirit and we're actually coming out of this verse as well about uh, the uh, Soma, Suchi, and, uh, and uh, Numa. And our soul grows by the things we hear, by the things that we see, and by touch and feel. And so all these senses, the five sense gates that God has given to us, that's information that the soul receives. That's where reasoning, knowledge, understanding all takes place. And so our soul is made up of those things. Now, if you were raised in Israel, 
they would have foods on their buffet that you probably wouldn't want to eat. <laughs> because if you're anything like me, you're just a meat and tater guy. You put me on a little bit of meat, put me on some potatoes, give me some gravy, and I'm a happy camper. I don't have to have all those fancy whatever it is uh, that are out that way. But we know the world around us through those five sense gates, and we begin to build a knowledge in our soul about the world in which we live. And so that is what we're getting at when it says it means the human soul insofar as it is constituted by the right use of aids. Now, moms and dads, you're an aid to the development of your child's character. Teachers are an aid. Sunday school teachers, school teachers are also aids. Amen? When you're a Christian, it is the Holy Spirit of God and the Word of God which are aids. Pastors, teachers, and evangelists are also aids to develop the character, as is the Holy Spirit. And so, by the right use of aids offered our soul by God so that our soul can attain its highest end and secure eternal blessedness. You see, not everybody is going to get the rewards that God would like for them to get. Well, I'm not into it for the rewards. Well, you just, when you get up, you tell the Lord, give them to the pastor. I'll take them. But the truth of the matter is there are a life that's to be lived that we might have a better resurrection. Or the idea there behind that is a better accounting. I'd rather have the Lord look at me with a smile and a gleam in his eyes and a you could have, would have, should have, you know, kind of a thing. I'd much rather have that happen, say you had just a smile, well done now, good and faithful servant. But you know, that takes work. It takes getting involved with the Christian life. It takes getting involved with the leadership of the Holy Spirit of God and gleaning from the Word of God the principles that we need to make application to our lives with. So the reason that we ought to work heartily under the Lord rather than to man is that God has a higher purpose than man does. I work for a roof over my head. I work for food on the table. I work so I can keep my wife. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, and, and treat her and, and, and treat her nicely and to take her out to dinner occasionally and and those things like that. But we have, see, my, our purpose is a lot lower. But as a child of God, my purposes should be eternal purposes. Far greater, far more important. To see others come to know Christ because I've shared the gospel with them. I've given out a track here. I've, I've witnessed to them verbally or so on. But you see, God has a much higher purpose in mind for us. In fact, in Matthew chapter 6, and looking down at verse 33, uh, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He said, for, because all the things he listed before, all those things will be added. So in the process of our seeking the kingdom of God, living for the kingdom of God, serving as a, a servant in the kingdom of God, God's going to make sure that we have a roof over our head, that we have food in there. Now, it may not be fillets and things of that nature there. Listen, hot dogs and beans work well, uh, and ham works well, all those kind of good things there, uh, for sure. But we have to understand that God has a higher purpose than does man, which is typically where God is not the focus. And so uh, I don't have, have to pray for a roof over my head. I know that God's going to provide that while I serve him. Uh, he is going to make sure that I've got a roof over my head. If, if you're not serving the Lord and you're thanking God for the job you've got and the health you've got and the money you're earning to keep a roof over your head, it's still the same thing one way or the other. And so we find that man's purposes are, are more of a temporal or, or selfishly motivated exercise of one's life. 
The reality for the redeemed of the Lord should be that whatever we do, we do it in a fashion where Christ is the one we seek to glorify. Not to be able to boast about how big my, my, my checking account is or to boast how big my, my, how much I've got my RAs or my retirement fund is or how much gold I've got or how much silver I've got or how many socks I've got uh, and so on like that. Because the truth of the matter is when the trumpet sounds, that stuff's all standing behind. You do know, I, I, listen, you know what? I don't care if you wear a money vest and you stack it all in there. When you come, it's gone. Amen? It is, it is not going to heaven. It's going to stay here. And someone else is going to have a lot of fun with it. I'm not saying you shouldn't prepare for those, uh, for those uh, retirement days. You should do that. But nonetheless, our primary focus should be the Lord Jesus Christ. How can I best glorify him? And so... He has provided us with all the aids that we need to be able to do more than we can or could do without those aids. Uh, you know, they always say, uh, the old expression is don't go off half cocked. Because you may think you've got that rifle in a safety position and all of a sudden realize that boom, it just went off on you because you had it fully cocked and the gun was loaded. And a lot of people out there, they're going off half cocked. And so the aids that God gives to us puts us on the straight and the narrow, guiding and directing us. They, those aids lead us, they guide us, and they keep us on that straight and that narrow. Now, uh, the aids for the redeemed of the Lord are primarily the indwelling Holy Spirit of God and the infallibly preserved Word of God and those who are mature in the faith and can instruct and teach or counsel in the things of the Lord. So God does not like laziness. Let me kind of bring it down to this this, this, this afternoon. Is that God doesn't God does not like laziness and tells us in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 10, for even when we were with you, this we commanded you that if any would work, if any would any would not work, sorry about that, uh, neither should he eat. Now, there are some folks who need help. I understand that. Jesus said, we will always have the poor. And there are things that we could do. But, you know, when someone is able-bodied, I mean, if they can stick a round peg in a round hole, they can work. They may not, and listen, in the good weather, you can stand out there, you can hold a flagpole in traffic. You can do that. And that doesn't pay, that pays pretty good money. Now, I'm not one who wants to stand out there in the heat. In the cold, I may not mind it so much. But, I mean, there are things that able-bodied people can do. And to give them some sort of self-respect, you give them responsibility that is commensurate with their abilities, for sure. And so it isn't the idea that we need to throw everybody under the bus, but there are people that need to be thrown under the bus to wake them up, if you will. They can become somewhat self-sufficient. Now, this does not negate the fact that there are those who are not able to work for physical reasons or for those who need a hand up. They would love to work if they could. And so what the Bible is primarily addressing are those who can do something but will not because they have become lazy and rather have somebody else work for them while they do nothing. And so I do not see anywhere in Scripture where God called anyone to serve him who possesses a lazy spirit and character. You know, God called the Apostle Paul. He was not lazy. 
Saul of Tarsus was a busy man. He worked hard in his studies, and he worked hard persecuting Christians. And God says, you know what, if I get that guy saved, he is going to be one missionary beyond belief. And so the Lord Jesus Christ met him on the Damascus Road. Paul got saved. And he carried that enthusiasm. He carried that energy over into his salvation. And here we are today admiring this man. Knowing full well that what he did we can do too. We can. And so in this armory which God has provided for you and I to draw out of, the defensive weapons that we need to defeat Satan's sin and the weakness of our flesh, but for the grace of God, there I go, is the idea is to strive. We go into the armory and we see the, the, the weapon of striving or the defensive weapon of strive. If I don't want to become dependent on others or dependent upon a government, then I need to strive and I need to strive lawfully in the things that God has called me to do. And you know what? God will take care of us along the way. And so our first and only point is our reaction to Colossians 3.23. Now the Apostle Paul in this text before us today has to do with spiritual and physical laziness. Mostly spiritual. However, if one is, if one, is uh, uh, one that they are, are usually the other, if, if, if one is, is lazy physically, they're probably going to be lazy spiritually. And I usually find that to be true. Now, it is not easy for someone who tends to be physically lazy to all of a sudden strive spiritually in order to please the Lord. They'll have to be trained. They'll have to be taught along the way. That's why spiritual mentoring is so important. So, can it happen? Can someone who has been lazy physically get saved and all of a sudden become spiritually uh, enthusiastic? And strive for the mastery of the faith. And, and the answer is, it can happen, absolutely. Is it likely to happen? Not unless somebody mentors them along the way. The Christian life, when it is done right, is a lot of work. It is, isn't it? It's a lot of work. When you, when you look at uh, 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show thyself approved unto God, so and, and, the, and the idea simply is there, that's work. Anybody can read the Bible. Studying the Bible, that's a different story. That means you've got to get a lot of paper, and you've got to get a pencil. That means you have to pray about what you're reading and take some notes along the way there and, and, may, you know, and try to get some understanding and do some meditation on that. Going to church because that's part of the Christian life. Praying is a part of the Christian life. Tithing is a part of the Christian life. Going to church is a part of the Christian life. Soul winning is a part of the Christian life. Giving out tracts is part of the Christian life. How many of you, when you got married, thought marriage is going to be a cakewalk? <laughs> when I get married, ooh, she's going to bake me. She's going to do a wonderful meal. She's going to do my laundry. going to keep the house clean. And I'm just going to sit there with that remote, boom, 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 all day long. Well, you found out that marriage wasn't that easy, was it? And I think that a lot of times we make it harder on ourselves than it is wont to be. But if we are, are used to being busy and realize that our Christian life takes a lot of work, then we can also realize that the more work we do within our marriages, the better our marriages are going to be. When the husband is working hard, the wife is working hard, 
and the children, when they come along and they begin to work hard, you're going to have a wonderful home life. It doesn't mean it's always going to be one of those zippity doo dah days every time you wake up. But it's a lot different than waking up to a house full of turmoil. A lot of anger and a lot of hatred and a lot of venom and a lot of whatever else that goes on in some people's homes and some people's lives. And so we need to realize that the successful Christian life takes a lot of work, takes a lot of energy, takes a lot of your personal participation. So if we are somehow thinking that Romans 8.29 is about kicking back with one's, at one's desk and putting their feet up there and kind of clutching their thumbs and, and waiting for us to be conformed to the image of God. Because that's what the Holy Spirit's going to do now that we're saved. Think again. That's not going to happen. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. That's called character building. That is the building of our character to become like the character of the Lord Jesus Christ. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Now I'd like to just be able to sit in a seat over there and just kind of sit back and say, okay, do your thing. Go to town. So if our thinking is, now that I am saved and the Holy Spirit of God is going to conform me to the image of Christ, then all I have to do is to sit back and let him do his thing. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. Oh, he is more than willing to do his thing. But we're not, we're, we're, oftentimes I think that we're more resistant to his doing his own thing. We want him to do his thing our way, according to our desires rather than his desires. As if somehow we know what developing our character, the character of Christ, is all about. Well, listen, if, if, if uh, sitting back and letting him do his thing is your idea, well, not so fast, my friends. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is to guide us into all truth and to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ in and through our lives. John chapter 15, if we can just turn there very quickly. In John chapter 15, looking at verse 13. One more page. Oops, too many pages. In verse 13 it says, How be it when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you. Now, how many of you have ever gone on a hiking trail somewhere you, you weren't familiar with? Or maybe you've gone horseback riding through the countryside. And you're on various trails, you have a guy, don't you? And the guy says, hey, let's go. And you stay there. You don't move. You're not moving anywhere. He is going to guide us in the direction that he knows God wants us to go. Because God has a purpose for every one of us. And much of that, plan, much of that purpose is germane to all of us. It may be a couple of nuances along the way in your life that would not be in mine because there are people that you come in contact with that I may never come in contact with. You may go to places that I never go to. But howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth for he shall not speak of himself but whatsoever he shall 
he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you uh, things to come. Uh, he shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. And so the expectation is the things that, that will glorify Christ are the things that he wants us to do. He's going to lead us in the way to do. Now, this means that God fully expects us to be busy. He expects us to dig in and to busy ourselves with spiritual growth by studying our Bibles and meditating in our Bibles as well. Being where the word of God is being preached and taught, making application of the Bible truths to our daily lives. That's what God's expectation is. Listen, you cannot be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ in this lifetime if you're not in your Bible meditating and studying and praying. You are who you are because that's what you want to be rather than what God wants us to be. And so, in James chapter 1 and verse 22, we're to be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. But also we need, we need to be busying ourselves about the Lord's business of sharing the gospel, soul winning and serving to the local church, tithing so missionaries can go and stay on the fields and pastors can give themselves to the ministry full time. We need to busy ourselves by serving in the local church. These are all things that the Holy Spirit of God is going to lead us into. I mean, uh, let's face it, if the church is going to grow, it isn't only the pastor, it's the people. Now, you probably listen to Dr. Jeremiah, you probably listen to a few others out that way and say, they're there because he's a great preacher. And he is. And they are great preachers. But they also have people that are out there inviting people to church, encouraging people to come to church. Well, I, I don't know that many people. When you're out and about, pray for an occasion, pray for an opportunity. And it'll invite people. You never know where it's going to lead. But here's the reality. 10% of a congregation does 100% of the work. Think about that. 10% of a congregation does 100% of the work because too many folks are either so busy with the temporal things in this world and the others are only too willing to let the 10% do all the work anyway. They used to be attracted. We used to have it out here. Um, I forget how it went. That... Uh, Somebody, not the time it goes. It was a somebody, everybody, anybody, and nobody. You ended up doing the work or something like that. I'd like to get that track. But it really, it really expressed where the church really is. So you take 10% of a small church, that means three or four people are carrying the load, carrying the weight. In a bigger church, 10%, that could be 100, 200 people. If you've got a college going, then you've got college students that have to do ministry and they go out and they pull people into the church. But in a small church, that means we have to work a little harder. And so, whether this, um, I'm going to hit myself again. So the time is growing shorter, folks. And so the answer to this is not making up excuses, but rather by striving to overcome laziness, apathy, and indifference. By striving to overcome our excuses by striving to overcome our weaknesses, by striving to live obedient lives that reflect the character of Christ in our daily walk. 
So the time is growing shorter, folks, and the fields are waiting to harvest. John chapter 4, and verses 34 through 36, Jesus has just talked to the, uh, the Samaritan woman at the well. The disciples have come upon him. They were marveling that he had talked to her in the first place there, and, uh, and so on there. And, uh, and he told his disciples, listen, the fields are waiting to harvest. So we can't wait until we are ready because time has already been ready. And so in God's time frame, where he said, but beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand days, and a thousand days are as one day as Peter wrote it in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8. So we don't know exactly where God is, but we do know this, that we don't have as much time as we had yesterday. And so the recent events in the Middle East are a reminder that God's timetable is getting closer. The hour hand and the minute hand are getting closer to the midnight hour when the trumpet is going to sound. And whatever work we leave behind is work undone. Work that we can't go back and do. And so there is a sure sign of the soon coming of the rapture. And it surely is a warning for us to be busy, striving heartily for the Lord because we are most certainly closer than at any other time since Christ's first advent. They were not ready at his first advent, but folks, we know better. We should be ready for that trumpet. But that doesn't mean sitting and waiting as they did in the, in the city of Thessalonica when Paul spoke of the rapture. And so this brings us to the important question for the, fir uh, the first of those who heard the gospel and rejected it for a more convenient time and secondly to believers who think that we have all the time in the world. Number one, if you have heard whether verbally or read a tract explaining the need to be saved and how to be saved, and you have chosen to set it aside for whatever reason, and the rapture occurs, there is no longer any hope of salvation for you, the individual. Folks, that ought to scare us to no end. That someone, whether it's a friend or a family, with whom we have given the gospel, and they laugh it off, or they reject it, or they put it off saying, later, and the rapture occurs, they're never going to get to heaven. There's no longer a chance, no longer any hope. All hope's gone. In 2 Thessalonians, if we can turn there, you'll see why that is, and that's because God said so. And when God says something, God, God doesn't foolishly just put things out there. God says what God means, and he means what he says, amen? So in 2 Thessalonians, chapter 2, looking at verse 10 through 12, and he says, with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they received not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion, that they should believe a lie. It doesn't matter what they've heard on this side of the rapture. The Antichrist on the other side of the rapture is going to be delivering such a lie that they're going to say to themselves, I knew it was not true. I knew that they were lying to me over here. 
But then they're going to die over here and realize that how wrong they were. But imagine to be in a place where you have no hope. None whatsoever. And so he says that with all, and with all deceitfulness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie that they all might be damned who believed not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Second Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2 says, For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation I have succored thee, I have drawn thee. When you present with someone the gospel of Jesus Christ, even if it's a tract or a verbal expression of a Bible verse about getting saved, God is using you and that information to try to succor that person, to draw them closer to him. And he said, behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation because once they have been presented it and they reject it, the next time it's a little easier to reject it. It's a little bit harder to accept or to believe. But now for the redeemed of the Lord, every second is a second closer. And at some point, the seconds are going to run out for us. The clock is going to run out. And the trumpet's going to sound and we're going to think to ourselves, oh no, I could have and I should have, but I didn't. Romans 13, 11 through 14 says, And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly. No one should have to guess that we're a Christian. No. Should they? I mean, we walk out there in the world, how many people would know that we're a Christian? So let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying. Put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provisions for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Oh, man, I don't want to get out of bed this morning. Oh, every bone in my body aches. Every muscle. I can tell you where they are. I don't want to get up and have my devotions today. I'll double up tomorrow. Or an opportunity to pray for someone or to pray for something. Well, I'm busy and I'll get it later. And you know sometimes, most of the time, later never comes. Well, my schedule is so full. My schedule is just so busy that... I just try to fit it in where I can and when I can. Well, heaven forbid that we should have got up an hour early if that was the case. Or maybe stay up an hour later at night to get it done. Or to take our lunch hour. I mean, most of us here could live throughout the day without lunch. We might need our breakfast and we might need our supper. But we could give our lunch hour for the Lord. Amen. But we look at it and say, oh, I love my bed. I mean, how do you, you get up in the morning and, and, and you kind of weep and cry. You say, oh, that looks so warm, looks so comfortable. I don't want to go to church today. I'm going to stay home. I don't want to go to church. And so on and on go the excuses that we make. And that's what he's getting at, to, to, to not fulfill or to make provisions for the flesh. And Romans chapter 6 is a good chapter to read in relationship to this, the importance of striving. 
Lazy people don't strive for anything. In fact, they probably spend more energy trying to hide from work than if they just get up and did the job to begin with. So laziness is not one of those things that we want to be known for at the judgment seat. There are no lazy boy, lazy boy what do they call those things, in heaven. None up there. Romans chapter 14 and verse 12. We're all going to stand before God and give an accounting. And rather than to be known, I would rather be known for striving and for serving the Lord our God heartily to hear the words well done. Mark it down, Matthew chapter 25, verses 21 through 30, where the servants were given the talents of five and two and one. And the two increased those. They doubled them. But the third one didn't. The first two heard from their master, well done, thou good and faithful servant. The other one, he hid it and went about his business because he was afraid. But, for, you know, that's why a lot of lazy people, I fought for a couple of years about going, going off to prepare for Bible college. I felt I was too old. And I, I, I thought I was going to be foolish and these younger people were going to be a lot smarter than I was. And I didn't want to look like a dummy. In the class. I did not want to be the class dummy. So I put it off and I put it off until finally God said, time to go. And so we went. And so it depends on what you want to hear. Well done, a good and faithful servant. Or just a shake of the head. Could have, should have. So the choice is ours to make and the consequences to follow. Some of them will be good and some of them will be bad. Some will receive rewards and some will receive nothing. I don't know about you, but I don't want to stand before my Lord and not have something that I can lay at his feet. But there are those who are going to come before the Lord and they'll have nothing to lay at his feet. Father, we thank you for this time that we can be together. Lord, the reality is that the days are growing shorter and Lord, your expectations of us if it, it, it has not diminished, it has not decreased. Lord, if anything, it's increased. Lord, the things that you expect us to do and, and the things that you want us to do, uh, Lord, is probably now more vital than at any other time in our lives. And so, Lord, you guide and you direct in this invitation time. Lord, I pray that it's your spirit and your word that has challenged. Lord, it was never my desire to, to shame anyone. But, Lord, if the shoe fits, we've got to learn to wear it. We'll get rid of the shoe and put on the right shoe. So, Lord, you guide and you direct in this invitation time. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. You say, preacher, would you pray for me this morning? I know that I need to strive more. I know that I need to serve more heartily. And preacher, would you pray for me in closing? Preacher, pray for me today. Young people, old, uh, us older people here today as well. Listen, we're never too old to strive for the Lord. Amen. Mrs. Church would tell me, she's a preacher, she said, I can't drive to church anymore after she had her stroke. She said, but I know when church services are. She said, I want you to know I'm sitting here and I am praying for you all the time. She was striving for the faith by praying for the pastor and the message that the people would receive it. That's striving. Praying for unsaved family members, striving in prayer. Striving against the world. Striving against the flesh. Striving against Satan's lies that are holding our loved ones captive in a lost world. So many things. Preacher, pray for me in closing. 
Pray for me. At home, listen, you can make the same choices, same decisions right there. I, I know you probably have neighbors and families that are not saved. But the question to you is still, are you striving for the Lord? Are you reaching beyond yourself and letting God guide you and direct you? Now, it may be this morning, whether here or at home, that you do not know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. And that would be the second most important thing you could do today is to receive Jesus Christ as your own personal Lord and Savior. For without him you can strive until the cows come home. But it won't be according to his purpose. It won't be according to his will. They're just feel-good things that you're doing to hopefully maybe God, God will accept those things. God's already given his son. His son has already paid a penalty. What's the point of your works if Christ has already done it? If Christ's already taken care of it and all you have to do is come by faith? It's the only equitable means of salvation because the rich and the poor both alike can have the same degree of faith that, that will bring them to the place of salvation. For without faith, we cannot please God. Father, we thank you for the time that we can be together here today. Lord, it is an important time. Lord, it really, it, it's kind of scary, but it's really exciting. Lord, because we're constantly being reminded through prophecy and through the scriptures and through current events that everything that you've said is real. Everything you've said is genuine. And that, Lord, who knows, but before this day is finished, we could be in, in your presence. Lord, guide and direct. Lord, may we be found striving. Every one of us be, be found striving in, 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 in whatever way you can use us. Use us. Cause us to strive in that area so that, Lord, we can magnify and glorify you. Not only in what we do, but because of what people do in response to it and coming to a saving faith in you. Lord, guide and direct. We pray you'll be with Brother Steve this afternoon. We pray also that you'll be with a meal that's downstairs, that you'll bless the food, bless the conversation. Now, Father, won't you dismiss us with thy blessings in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost and all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Amen.